So for the next 20 minutes or so, I just want to share with you uh, some thoughts about uh, an idea we've been talking about for the last few weeks around here. And if you've missed any of it, don't worry, you can go back and check it out on our YouTube channel to kind of catch up. But it's the last part of this series we've been doing together called Resolution. And uh, the, the series has been about asking different kinds or better kinds of questions than often we ask around about this time of year. Because often at this time of year, as we go into a new year, we talk about questions like, what can I change about my life? How can I be different? And we think a lot about where we're not, what I'm not doing, and what I could be doing that I'm not doing. And it becomes actually very self-absorbed. It becomes all about us. And we've been saying, look, what if we tried to ask better questions? What if instead of asking questions that were all about us, all about me, what if we asked questions about how we could make the world a better place? Or instead of asking questions like, what am I going to be remembered for? What's my life going to be remembered for? Asking questions about, well, what can I offer with my life? We've been asking what breaks our heart about the world. And today we're talking about how we can actually make a difference to those things that breaks our hearts. But what if those kinds of challenges about how we make the world a better place leave us feeling, yeah, but what am I supposed to do? Or what even could I do? Little old me in my part of the world with all of my busyness and lack of resources and all those kind of things, how can actually I be involved in changing the world? Now, I wonder if you've ever had one of those moments where you see something that for the first time that's been right in front of you for ages. I wonder if you've ever had one of those moments where you've lost your keys and you've gone searching everywhere around the house for them in every conceivable nook and cranny, only to find they were right in front of you where you always leave them in the first place. I had a, a light bulb moment uh, not so long ago, and I'm quite ashamed to admit this really, but I never really... Have you ever done that thing where you, you're in a car and maybe it's your own car and you've just forgotten which side the fuel cap is on? Or maybe you're in a hire car or a holiday car or a car you've borrowed and you pull up at the petrol station and you just go into an absolute blind panic because you can't remember which side the fuel cap is on and therefore which side you need to go into the petrol station on. I never knew that the petrol gauge often has an arrow on it to tell you which side of the car your fuel cap is on, or either that, or the petrol gauge is turned one way or the other, tell you, or is over one side of the dashboard or the other. All the rest of you are nodding your heads, going, are you an idiot? How do we let this man lead a church? That's what you're thinking about right now. Honestly, for 52 years of my life, I never knew that the petrol gauge told you which side the fuel cap was on. This was like a revelatory moment. Is there anybody here or online willing to admit that they didn't know that either until this morning? Ah! There we go. So look, if nothing else, it was worth you being here today for that, right? You're being sent home with good, good knowledge today. Well, that is true, and that's how it works, and it's amazing. Well, what about this? What about maybe that moment where somebody is right in front of you, who you've known for ages, but suddenly you begin to feel differently about? Maybe that friend who suddenly you think, actually, there could be more to this relationship than friendship. Sometimes those sorts of things happening. Somebody else was telling me, uh, for them, this, their greatest example of this is jigsaw puzzles. Never being able to find that piece that you're looking for, only to eventually find it right in front of you where you've been looking all along. I wonder if you've ever had those experiences 
where you've been searching for something, wondering about something, only to find that the solution was right in front of you? What if the way you and I could change the world was actually right in front of us and we're just not seeing it? What if your heart is breaking for the state of the world, but you've got no idea where to begin? No idea what you should do about your broken heart, your heart that's breaking for a situation or a circumstance in the world. You don't know what you're supposed to do, and you don't know if you've got the resources to actually be able to make a difference anyway. What if the thing you were supposed to be starting with was right in front of you? Now, in the first part of this series a few weeks ago, I used the story of a man called Nehemiah, a man who existed, who lived 450 years before the birth of Jesus, And that's why we've been building some things this morning. That's why we were talking on the live chat in the studio. For those of you who were online before the service, I was talking with Tom and Josh about things we like to build, and we were talking about models and Lego. That's why we were talking about building with the young people in our big story, because Nehemiah's story is all about building. You see, Nehemiah's heart broke when he received a report about the state of the walls around his home city, his hometown of Jerusalem. Because at the time, Nehemiah, who'd probably never been to Jerusalem actually, but knew all about it, was living in the royal court of King Artaxerxes in Persia. And Nehemiah had a very important job. He was the cupbearer to the king, which meant he was responsible for all the king's food and drink. And in days where people like to try and poison food and drink of kings to kill them off, Nehemiah's job was really important, and he had access to the king. But he received a report one day to say the state of his hometown, where his people had come from, where his ancestors had come from in Jerusalem, it was awful. The walls had crumbled down, and the walls meant there was no protection around the city, so everybody was in danger. And Nehemiah's heart broke for the state of the world. His heart broke for the state of his hometown, for the defenselessness of his people and their exposure, and they were in huge danger. So Nehemiah resolved to do something about it. He approached the king, which was just not something you did in those days, and asked the king for a sabbatical from his job so that he could go back to Jerusalem and help me rebuild the walls. And he he was a cheeky old so-and-so, Nehemiah, because he asked the king then to provide all the resources, all the materials that he would need to rebuild the walls. And he just kept asking the king for stuff. And the king miraculously kept saying yes. And eventually Nehemiah gets back to Jerusalem with all the stuff and is about to get ready to start repairing the walls. But he needs all the people around and about Jerusalem and in Jerusalem to help him. So he makes a speech to them. And that's where we're going to pick the story up, the speech that Nehemiah was making. And we find it in the Old Testament book, helpfully called Nehemiah, because it's his book, it's his story. And in chapter 2 of that book, when Nehemiah's gone back to Jerusalem, it says this, Nehemiah says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. So the first thing Nehemiah does is show everybody the trouble they're in, show and remind everybody about the state of the world. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Then Nehemiah casts a vision for what could be in the world. He says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Because we are in disgrace because we've allowed these walls to fall into rack and ruin. We're vulnerable and at risk from the surrounding people who would come and attack us. Nehemiah says, see the trouble that we're in. But Nehemiah also has a vision for what God could do. Because Nehemiah has prayed. And when we were with the adults in the first part of this series, we talked about the prayer Nehemiah prayed. 
Because Nehemiah prayed a radically different kind of prayer from the kind of prayers that you and I might pray if we're praying people. See, we often say, God, you're amazing. Would you do this, 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 and this? And we present God with our list of all the things we'd like him to fix. Nehemiah prayed, God, you're amazing. I know I and we mess up sometimes, but would you help me fix the problems in the world? So instead of praying, God, do something about this situation in Jerusalem, Nehemiah prays, God, help me do something about the situation in Jerusalem. Do you see the radical difference in that prayer? Instead of God, fix the world, God, help me to fix the world. So Nehemiah goes back, he casts his vision, he says, look, I think we can make a difference. And making a difference, rebuilding the walls would have provided a safer community for everybody, which would have meant better relationships, would have meant they were protected from people who would try to come and attack them. So then Nehemiah goes on in his speech to remind everybody what God is capable of. If we zoom ahead to verse 18, it says this, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had sent to me. So he recounts the story of what God has already done, this miraculous path that God has already opened up with the king and all of that sort of stuff. So he reminds everybody what God is capable of. So he talks about the problem, casts a vision, reminds everybody what God is capable of, and then they respond. And we'll look at how they respond to Nehemiah's call. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So the people say, yeah, we're in. We want to change the world. We want to be part of fixing the world. And so the work starts. But it wasn't only the people from Jerusalem. People came from all the towns and villages around Jerusalem to come and help. And as they arrive, Nehemiah sets them to work on different parts of the city. He gives them their assignments. And Jerusalem had all these gates around the city where people could come and go through the walls. So he sends them to different gates to start the work. So he says, you guys, you go and work on the east gate. You guys, you go and work on the west gate. And then there were all these other gates. They've got great names, these other gates. He says, you guys, you go and work on the valley gate. So the valley gate was a gate that went out into a valley. So in creatively named. And he says to these other people, I want you to go and work on the fountain gates. And the fountain gate was next to the fountain. And he said, I want you guys to go and work on the sheep gate. Because this was the gate that all the sheep were brought in through to the sheep market. And he says, you people, I want you to go and work on the horse gate. Anybody guess what came in through the horse gate? Did somebody say horses? Horses? Excellent. And he said to these other people, I want you to go and work on the fish gate. Anybody guess what came in through the fish gate? Fish, thank you, excellent. Because it was the gate that was, went out onto the rivers and all that kind of stuff, and the fishmongers was just inside the fish, so they brought the fish in. And here's my favorite gate. He says, to you people, I'd like you guys to go and work on the dung gate. Can anybody guess, guess what came out, actually, through the dung gate? Dung. dung. You're absolutely right. Because the dung gate was next to the city rubbish dump. So that's all where all the dung went out through. Can you imagine if you were, if you were the people who got the dung gate assignment? You'd be thrilled with that, wouldn't you? Why couldn't we have had the sheep gate or the horse gate? Why do we have to have the dung gate? Anyway, there we go. I did, did, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, go off on a tangent. Anyway, right. <laughs> Let's get back to what we, we're talking about. So all these people start to work and they start rebuilding the walls just like we've built walls and, and, and stuff this morning. They start rebuilding the walls. And then the people who actually live in Jerusalem itself 
they start coming, and they're seeing all these people from all these places outside Jerusalem rebuilding walls. So they come and they say, oh, what can we do? What can we do? And Nehemiah, just a genius move from Nehemiah. If we shoot ahead to chapter 3, this is what Nehemiah says to the people led by the priests who were living in Jerusalem. This is what he says to them. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. And we go on. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalapheth, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. So do you see what Nehemiah does? Nehemiah sets them to work on the piece of the wall that was right outside their house. When they came to Nehemiah and they said, well, we see all these other people rebuilding the walls, what should we do? Nehemiah says, get to work on what is right in front of you. It's a genius move by Nehemiah, because if you were living in Jerusalem, which part of the wall was most important to you? The bit right in front of your house, right? Because that's where they were going to come and attack you. So, so it was a genius move. Work on the bit, because you'll really own that bit, and you'll really want to make it good. But it's also interesting that these people were not necessarily builders. They were priests and, and other tradespeople. But Nehemiah says, it doesn't matter. No matter who you are or what you do, get to work on what's right in front of you. I can imagine all those people looking around, seeing all the sections of the walls going up and all that, and they come to Nehemiah, how can we help? And Nehemiah simply says, you know what you can do? Just come out of your front door every day and either work on the bit next to your house or the bit across from that and just work on it. Make a difference to it. Start building. And that's what they do. And the walls of Jerusalem are repaired and restored. And the world changes for all the people living in and around Jerusalem. It's better. And I think what is true for them is true of us. Sometimes many of us, I think, think to ourselves, we don't know how to respond to the needs of our world. We don't know how to make the world a better place. We don't know where to begin building. We don't know what we can do. And sometimes we think to ourselves, I don't know what I've got to offer. Sometimes I think we think to ourselves, look, we'll just hang around for a while and wait for a blinding revelation from God about what he would want me to do to change the world. Sometimes we look around and we see other people doing amazing things and we think, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm not equipped to do that. I don't have the time or the energy or the money or the resources or the opportunity to do anything about that, to make a difference in our world. But here's the big question for today and the different kind of question I want us to be asking today. If that's you, if you think that sometimes, I don't know how to change the world. My heart's breaking for the world, but I don't know how to change it. Here's the question. What's right in front of you? What's right in front of you? If your heart is breaking at the thought of people who are struggling or lost or lonely, who's right outside your front door? Who's struggling or lost or lonely? Who could you reach out to in the street, at the school gates, in your classroom, in the church community? Who could you call? Who could you pop in on? Who could you send a card to? Who could you make a meal for? What's right in front of you? Who's right in front of you? If your heart breaks for the struggles that so many of our young people are experiencing in our world today, and doesn't our heart break at that? There are loads of opportunities right in front of us. If you're a part of Andover Community Church, there are opportunities in front of you all the time 
to help and serve and bless young people who come through our doors in reaching out in love to the next generations. If your heart is breaking all around us about the state of the world and the wars and the victims of wars and those in poverty and those starving around our world, I promise you there is something right in front of you that can make a difference and it's this. Because on this, right in front of our noses, for goodness knows how many hours a day, we are but a click away from organizations who are helping bless people all over the world and lift people out of poverty and help the victims of war. And it is right in front of us every day. Loads of organizations who need our support and who have amazing ideas for how to start fixing a broken world. And on and on and on. So what if the question... It's just simply this, what's right in front of us? What if we woke up every day determined to have eyes that are open to see what is right in front of us and the opportunities to change the world? I guarantee if we have eyes that are open, and we don't even have to do anything different from our normal days. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, at work, at school, All the normal things that we do with our day, there is opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to change the world. If we have eyes that are open, I guarantee we will never be short of an opportunity to begin to change things. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. It doesn't matter how many resources you do or don't have. There are opportunities in front of us every day to change the world. We can simply come out of our front doors and work on what is right in front of us. No matter who you are or what you do, get to work on what's right in front of you. Ruth, my wife, and I, we went last Monday, I have a day off on a Monday, last Monday we went to see the film One Life at the cinema with Anthony Hopkins. Anybody seen that, story, that, that movie? It's an amazing movie. The true story of a man called Nicholas Winton, who in the 1930s was a stockbroker. And uh, he, he took a week off work in the 1930s. He went to Prague to help with a charity, a humanitarian organization that was working in Prague. And when he arrived in Prague and he just started walking around the city, what he saw right in front of him was children and families that had been displaced by the Nazis as they were moving through Europe and it ended up in the slums in Prague. And it broke his heart. And he wondered to himself, what, what could I do about this? So he stayed a little bit longer and he just started to work on what the possibilities were for getting some of these children out of Prague and back to Britain. And he just started working and working and working on the next thing that was in front of him and the next thing. And lo and behold, suddenly he's getting visas for kids to come to Britain and he's organizing trains and all this kind of stuff. 669 children were rescued by Nicholas Winton before the Nazis invaded Czechoslovakia and arrived in Prague. And in 1988, I think it was, the uh, huge TV program at the time, some of you of my generation and older will remember, called That's Life with Esther Ranson. They profiled Nicholas Winton. And there's this great thing, and you can see it on YouTube, and it's in the movie as well. I'm probably going to, this is a bit of a spoiler alert, really, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, They get him on That's Life to tell the story. And he was such a humble man, he'd never told anybody about all of this. And he arrives on That's Life, and unbeknownst to him, they filled the audience with children who who he rescued who were now grown up, and they had him turn around and look at this sea of faces. It's the most extraordinary story. He just got to work on what was right in front of him. By the way, you should watch this movie. It's an amazing movie. 
He just got to work on what was right in front of him. What if, what if, and we may not turn out to be Nicholas Winton, we may not turn out to have that kind of impact, but I promise you, there is opportunity after opportunity for us to be involved in changing the world. If we just wake up every morning and say, God, show me today what is right in front of me and what I can do to change things. When our heart breaks for the state of the world, the answer is not to wait. Wait for some blinding revelation from God. I think God would just simply be saying to us, get out of your front door and just start working on what's right in front of you and just see what I might do. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, the story of Nehemiah. I just love this story. And it starts with his heart breaking for the state of the world. And then it moves to a prayer that's a radically different kind of prayer than a lot of people pray. A prayer that simply says, God, help me change things. And then it moves into things he could not possibly have imagined and answers he could poss- not possibly have foreseen and the world changes. Lord God, I pray when our heart breaks for the state of the world that we would have the boldness and courage to pray prayers that go like this. God, help me change things. Instead of God, will you do this? Will you do that? Will you fix this? Will you fix that? God, help me to change things. And then God, as we step out, open our eyes to the difference that can be made all around us. Help us to get to work, I pray, Lord God, on what is right in front of us. Amen. Amen.